Um, the reading this morning is from Acts 14, 1 to 28. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to ill-treat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to Lyconium, cities of Lystra and Derbe, and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith and be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in the city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia and when they preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attalia. From Attalia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Good morning. My name is Jack Hammond, the leaders here at Christ Church. Occasionally they let me loose in the pulpit, so looking at you guys today. Um, before I begin, let's pray. Lord... This morning we want you to speak to us. May we grasp at how you are building your church in Acts and how you're building your church here in Liverpool as well. Lord, we want to be involved where your spirit is at work. So this morning, would you speak to us? Would you guide us? Would you change us? Would we not leave the same way we arrived? We need your help. I need your help this morning. 
Amen. Well, I wonder if any of you have ever had that experience where a friend or a family member, they go on holiday and they come back and you want to, you want to hear about their holiday. And instead of showing you five key photos, they show you 500 and you're stuck there for hours. Anyone else had that experience? Yeah. yeah. Well, Sarah and I went to India um, a few years ago and it's a beautiful place. And we took 6,000 photos. <laughs> I'll not show you 6,000 photos, don't worry. Um, but we were I was determined that I was not going to put people through that when we came back. And the photos I most enjoyed taking were the ones that were normal for India, but I just find funny. So you may smile at these if you've got my sense of humor. All of you probably have got some sort of um, kitchen spray in your house, you know, SIF, GIF, that sort of thing. Um, in India, my favorite band was this. You may need to press the button for me, Molly. Colin. <laughs> now, Colin just wouldn't sell over here, would it? It makes me think of sort of balding 60-year-old. Apologies if your name is Colin here. It's not, <laughs> not meant as an offense. Um, but you know, just wouldn't work here. Or you may have heard of um, the Bible verse where Jesus says, come to me all who are thirsty. Well, in India, um, one of um, our local companies to us had this, Jesus water supply truck. This was our local water supply truck, and I love it. It made me smile every time I saw it. Again, in England, just probably wouldn't quite work, would it? But anyway, why, why am I showing you my holiday snaps? Well, partly because I'm easily amused. But um, today, we are joining Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14, and they are ending their two-year mission trip. This is the first mission trip the church has ever intentionally sent people on. In chapter 13, we'd read that the Holy Spirit had selected Paul and Barnabas to go out and um, to go and share the news. And hopes were really high. And I want you to imagine that you are that church in Antioch that Paul and Barnabas are sent from. They've just returned to you and you are about to hear for the first time how that trip went. And you're excited, not just because, well, Paul and Barnabas are your friends, but it's going to help us answer the question of what does it look like for us to live spirit-filled, as spirit-filled Christians sharing the gospel. Now, the good news for you this morning is that I have done some intense research. I have scraped archives no one else has ever seen before. And I have found that Paul had his very own Instagram account <laughs> with his holiday snaps on. So... Today, we are going to look at Paul and Barnabas' holiday photos, mission trip photos, to help us understand what is happening in chapter 14. So, um, we read in verses 27-28 that God had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. That is what the church in Antioch hear when they sit down before Paul and Barnabas. It has been a success. And they all cheer. And now they want to know the details. They want to see those holiday photos. So Paul brings this picture up. This is his first photo. <laughs> and they look at him and go, Paul, this is not what we were expecting. A resounding success of a mission trip. But Paul says, don't, don't worry, let, let, me, let me explain to you what is happening. See, we'll move on a picture. Okay. Um, we're told that Paul and Barnabas spoke so effectively for the gospel, no doubt empowered by the Holy Spirit in verse 1, that we hear a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Many of us in this room will have heard the gospel message hundreds, if not thousands, of times. I have been 
I was dragged to church as a child. I have heard the gospel hundreds and thousands of times. But these Jews, they've been waiting for the promised Messiah. And finally, Paul comes with the message, the good news. And many respond, many are saved, great times. But the gospel seems to be a little bit like Marmite here. See, some either love it and some hate it. Some of the Jews, they refuse to believe. It says they stirred up poison. And poison is a strong word, isn't it? Poison is not your everyday language. They were actively teaching, these Jews were actively teaching the opposite of the good news of the gospel. And these brand new believers, they're thrown into turmoil straight away, having their minds poisoned. So Paul and Barnabas do what seemed obvious to them. They decided they were going to spend considerable time there. They boldly preached the gospel, and they turned their time trying to draw this poison out, to pull this poison out of people's minds, to let them see the gospel in its fullness. And what's God doing in all this? Well, we read that God is backing them up. He confirmed their message by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. And again and again in Acts, we've read this, that if you want to see miracles, would have a turn this on. If you want to see miracles, then let's go back one. Just go back one for the money. Carol's dead. Um, if you want to see miracles, then we see that by speaking God's word. Now, I've often thought that my friends that are not Christians, if, if God could just, you know, heal their leg or cure them of their barrenness, then they'd become Christians. They'd be saved, right, instantly. They'd be like, wow, God's amazing. But we read here that even though Paul and Barnabas are speaking the gospel, even though God is performing signs, they weren't enough. See, miracles can't change people. It's only the gospel that can do that. And Paul and Barnabas, they must have been on a high when uh, they first arrived and so many people became Christians. I imagine it must have been great. But now they've stayed through the lows. They've been trying to draw this poison out of these new Christian minds. And it must have been hard. And now, though, they've found that the entire city is divided. See, there's a clash of views. The world versus the gospel. And as Paul and Barnabas, they engage in the cultural narrative of the times, as they spoke the truth of the gospel into the poisons that people had believed about the world and about God, there's unsurprisingly a division. See, we're to learn from this first missionary trip that the hardship is normal. And they found out about a plot about them, where they would be killed. And being pragmatists, they decided that they would be more effective for the gospel alive rather than dead. So they fled. This image, them fleeing, they were forced to leave behind those brand new Christians. Those people who'd only just put their trust in Jesus. See, we're to learn from this first part that hardship is normal. It's part of the Christian life. You just go on one for me, Molly. Do you, do you expect hardship and opposition in your life because you're a Christian? See, we live in a culture that says protect yourself. Ditch difficult people. Avoid toxic people. Don't stand up against the general view. See, you are called by God to be wherever you are at the moment. In your workplace, in your housing, in your friendships with your family. And that doesn't mean those things can't change. But God has placed you where you are currently to bring the gospel to bear where you are. 
See, we, we're to expect the mission field to be hard. But God is with us. God is the new enabler in us. And it's very easy to choose comfort over hardship. We pull back from people when, when they resist us or oppose us. We pull back when our friends laugh at us or reject us. Often because we're scared of the hard bits. We don't walk with the Spirit. I wonder what it would look like if we did. Imagine going to work each morning asking God, who would you, speak, who would you have me speak to? What conversation do you want me to say? How can I contend for the gospel here today? See, Paul is not going to let an intellectual struggle blind people to the truth of the gospel. See, these verses are for us as Christians, as spirit-filled people, to know that when it's hard, we can say it's normal and we can depend on the spirit all the more. For Paul, that resulted in them embarrassingly having to flee. This high hopes mission trip, the first location they've gone to, and they're fleeing. And they went to preach the gospel elsewhere. We have our next picture morning. Well, this is Paul's next Instagram picture. And the church in Antioch would have raised their eyebrows at the first image of them fleeing. And now they would balk when they hear of what happens at Lystra. See, according to legend, a few decades before uh, Paul and Barnabas turn up, Zeus and Hermes came down for fun in human form to Lystra. And they went knocking on everyone's door saying, can we have some food? And everyone rejected them. Apart from, according to legend, an elderly couple called Philemon and Borcus. Now, Philemon and Borcus, they invited them in, and while Philemon is preparing a meal for them, Borcus is getting them seated at the table. And um, they cook them the last bit of food they have. And as Zeus and Hermes, who are disguised as human beings, eat the food, it replenishes. The wine overflows. Now, Borcus and Philemon obviously are a bit freaked out by this, and um, the gods have to reveal themselves because they're scared. And they say, everyone else rejected us. No one else offered us any food, but you did. So you we will bless, but everyone else we will destroy. Well, according to legend, what happened next was Borkis and Philemon said, can we be priests in the temple of Zeus for the rest of our days? And when we die, we want to die at the exact same time. So according to legend, the next day, the gods flooded the entire area. Every house was destroyed except theirs. And that would become the temple of Zeus. And when they died, apparently they became the trees that adorned the front of the temple. So it's in this very weird, very strange context that we find Paul and Barnabas arriving. Notice how Paul doesn't preach at the synagogue in this. He goes straight to um, what we presume must be the town square. It's probably because they're so far from Jerusalem, there aren't enough Jews around to even have a synagogue. So as he preaches, he sees a lame man. And he's probably overhearing some private conversation. And he sees this lame man and sees that he's heard about Jesus and has faith to him well. So Paul says in a loud voice, stand up on your feet. See, those of Lystra, knowing the legend, this would have been, everyone would have known this. And with no frame of reference for who Paul and Barnabas were. They thought they returned gods, Zeus and Hermes and determined they're not going to make the same mistake as their ancestors. So they get the red carpet out. Hear what they say in verse 11. The gods have come down to us in human form. 
Do you notice how very close heresy and idolatry comes to the truth? As Paul tears his garments, he tries to shout above the fervour to restrain the crowd, and they are barely restrained. Paul's message was, the good news is better than you've imagined. If only you've listened. The good news isn't that a demigod has come down to perform some petty miracle on a lame man. This isn't the good news. Yes, it might make an exciting day, a good afternoon, a story to tell next week, but this isn't the good news, Lystra. And it isn't the good news for us this morning. See, the good news is that the God of the universe has done infinitely more than that than make a lame man walk. God has come down to us, not in the likeness of a man, but as a man, in our form, in our nature. Paul desperately tries to restrain the crowd. We are men in nature like you, he says. The good news of the gospel isn't that God came down to do some petty miracle. He came down in the flesh to die upon a cross so that all who would believe in him would be saved. What a stark difference this message is from what these Lyconians have believed. They want to worship them. How easy it would have been for Paul to say, oh, you shouldn't sacrifice a bull to us. I mean, it's a really nice gesture. We, we won't stop you, but in a bit we'll tell you about Jesus. See, Paul is not the good news. Jesus is. He could have won the whole city with one small compromise. The whole city is caught in this intense wave of fervor. But Paul says, don't do it. Because God is better God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. And he left you with a witness. His love is unfailing and his faithfulness knows no end. To save rebels like you and me, God did not send an angel or a prophet. He did not set up a church ministry. There is not a program. No, he sent his own son in the flesh. Exactly like you and me, except without sin. The crowd are on the brink of worshipping Paul. Paul tears his clothes, and this would have been an extreme move. Can you imagine being surrounded by fanatics and denouncing their religion as false? It's a bold move. As a side, do you notice how Paul isn't affected by flattery or opposition? See, if we're always so concerned with what people think about us, we're not going to be concerned about what they think about Jesus. We all, and this is something I struggle with massively, we all, we hunger for human approval. By nature, we think more about, we care more about what people think about us than what they think about Jesus. We crave acceptance and we dread rejection. Which honestly means I spend hours of my life wasting time doing things to make people think I'm great. And that is rarely, if ever, going to lead me to tell them to believe in the good news, to repent of their sins. But Paul, he lives differently. He's anchored in the safety and satisfaction of knowing Jesus. Many adored him, even to the point of wanting to worship him. Some hated him, even to the point of wanting to kill him. But he lived and served above the approval ratings of others. See, one moment he's exalted as a god, and the next he's brutally beaten, gasping for life. One moment he's the celebrity pastor. 
The next is a notorious villain being beaten in the street. See, whether the world attacks or applauds us, if they do not worship Jesus, they will die without real hope. Their approval or rejection of me will have absolutely no bearing on my eternity. And it certainly will not help them. Will we surrender our need to be loved to truly lost, to truly love the lost? Are we willing to change the world in Jesus' name without being loved for it here? Maybe without even being noticed for it. We're to find our confidence and our identity in him. Not in what people think about you or what they think about me. Not in our status here in this life. See, it will free us to tell the beautiful and offensive message it desperately needs to hear in the gospel. I wonder how many of us would prefer to have ministries where we are worshipped rather than stoned. This is the only time where we see Paul tear his garments. See, he would pick stoning every single time because hardship is to be expected, but being worshipped is not. The Laconians are trying to put Paul on a pedestal and he doesn't hesitate to stop them. He is not here to point to himself, but he is here to point them to Jesus. In Antioch, Paul had to struggle for the gospel against poison mines. Now he struggles for the gospel against the world's longing to worship something. The world is looking to hang their confidence on someone. You only need to look at any election campaign to see that. Someone saying, I will be your saviour. I will make our country great again. I will sort out COVID. I will make Russia great again. But all these, they're false promises. See, as a spirit-filled Christian, we should not abuse that, but we should point them to the real saviour, Jesus. When people notice your witness, do you point them to Jesus? See, the job isn't finished just by being known as an honest person in the office or a loving and kind neighbour. That is, that is fine. But whatever those around you see in you, whatever godly characteristics, whatever talents you might have, use it to point them to Jesus. And it might mean suffering, but it's worth it. It might mean your friends and your colleagues laugh or reject you, but it's worth it. Because they might believe. Return movement being back in that meeting in Antioch where first Paul and Barnabas had to flee Iconium, and now they're being worshipped in Lystra. This just sounds like a complete failure of a mission. Can you imagine coming back from a mission trip saying, how did it go? Well, they worshipped me. It sounds like failure. Well, let's move on to Paul's next photo. Paul and Barnabas' near worship is short-lived. We read that only in the next verse some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium to win the crowd over. These Jews had walked a hundred miles to come and stand against Paul. They'd heard him preach a hundred miles and they stoned him. Normally for a, no a nominity, to be anonymous, let's go with that, to be anonymous and for cleanliness reasons, they would drag someone out of the city before stoning them. But such was the intense fervour against Paul that they, when they saw him, they grabbed stones and stoned him there and then dragged him out. I don't know if you've ever seen a mob at work. I have done once and it's a scary sight. Paul is so badly stoned they think he's dead. Mobs destroy before they think. It takes a lot 
for a mob to stop doing something. Paul isn't just slightly got slight cuts and bruises. Paul is probably scarred from this for the rest of his life. He is battered, he is bruised. He may never walk in the same way ever again. We read that the disciples who were probably in hiding gather around, probably praying and weeping over their friend Paul. And read with me in verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back to the city. Paul gets up. The man who they left for dead gets up and then walks back in. The amazing bit isn't just that he gets up, that's impressive, but that he goes back to the place that stoned him. And the next day, Paul and Barnabas walk on to Derby, another 60 miles. See, being a Christian is never promised to be easy. If you are not a believer here today, you are so welcome. We, we love having you. But know that trusting Jesus is a hard path to take. It's not that we go looking for suffering. That's not what this is. It's that we know that the message is too important to let suffering get in its way. But it's worth it at any cost. See, should you decide to follow Jesus, God guarantees that you will enter into the best relationship you could ever imagine. God will be your best friend. You will have, this, you will have a saviour and you will have a friend with the most powerful person. And you will never regret it. It is the best relationship you can ever get into. But we're to expect hardship. And they don't care that there's hardship because for them the gospel is better. Look, look how ludicrous this is, okay? Paul gets up and walks back to a city that's just stoned him. They are so, they're captivated by Jesus. The lesson here isn't work harder, people, or go get yourself into a fight with fanatics, but rather follow their example. Be utterly captivated by Jesus. If you've heard the gospel message hundreds of times before, if you feel like you are numb to it, then spend some time reflecting on him. Let the gospel warm your heart again because we are supposed to be captivated by this message. I long for the day when I'm 80, 90 years old. I want to be so much more in love with Jesus then than I am now. Paul is teaching the church that our great commission as Christians to go out and make disciples enabled by the Spirit is hard work. But God can and will do amazing things through it. See, as we move where the Spirit leads us in our daily lives, we should be expectant on God to work. And Paul is okay returning back to the same, same hard place. Not because he's a, a masochist, but because he's so captivated by Jesus. What situations or circumstances in your life, with the Spirit's help, do you need to go back and walk back in with the gospel? Young um, William Wilberforce was discouraged one night in the 1790s after another defeat in his 10-year battle with the slave trade in England. And tired and frustrated, he got home, sat on his bed, opened his Bible, and a piece of paper fell out. And he picked it up, and it was a letter written to him by John Wesley shortly before he died. And Wilberforce reads it again, and it appears here on screen. And it says this, Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery, which is a scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. 
But if God be for you, who can be against you? All of them together, are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go in the name of God and in the power of his might. See, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas, they're not masochists. They do the things we read because they're convinced by the gospel. They're captivated by Jesus. They know him and they know he's worth any price. Lastly, and this is a shorter point. The church in Antioch have heard the challenges. See, this mission trip has not gone as expected. Remember, it was the Holy Spirit himself that had sent these guys out. Hopes were high. They were going to demolish it. They were going to nail it, everyone thought. But they faced death threats. They'd been worshipped. They'd been stoned to near death. Three complete and utter failures. But we read in Derby that Paul preaches the gospel in verse 21, and a large number of disciples are won. Then they return back to the three cities they just left. The city that stoned them, the city that worshipped them, the city that they fled from. Why? Because people had believed. See, now they went to strengthen and encourage the disciples. Can you imagine Paul coming into town, still bearing his scars and bruises, looking you in the eye and saying this to you. We must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. We don't go through tribulation to get into heaven, guys. We go through tribulation because we are going to heaven. They build up the church and prayerfully appoint elders in those places. Paul and Barnabas share their experiences. And we mustn't mistake their fleeing, their being worshipped, and their physical persecution, their stoning as the headlines. They are not the headlines. They are but features. See, the headline is verse 27, and it says this. This is what they reported to the church in Antioch. God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. See, from verse 21, it only reads of success. Despite the opposition they'd faced, Jesus was building his church in all the locations they'd been. We're not told how the gospel wins out against poison mines, about being idolized, about being stoned. But we are told that the gospel is triumphant. See, Jesus is building his church. Even if it looks like there are no fruit at first, we see that where the gospel is preached, there are seeds sown. And that the gospel cannot fail to bear fruit in any circumstance. In your university, in your friendships, in your family. Because Jesus is building his church. And it feels tricky for us often sharing the gospel. We go in with these high hopes, we tell our friends the gospel, and yeah, they shrug their shoulders. That's interesting for you, but that's not for me. Have you seen what's on Netflix? See, the gospel can often seem like a failure. But this passage teaches that we should always expect fruit. Even against poison minds, false worship, physical persecution, the gospel cannot be stopped because Jesus is building his church. The Antioch church are grasping this as they hear about his first ever missionary trip. See, this, this story, Acts 14, it's not about Paul. It's not about Barnabas. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. 
See, wherever the loving good news of Jesus is shared, it will be triumphant. Maybe not in the way we expect, maybe not in the timing we expect, but it is at work. It's our job to contend for the gospel. These three stories of fleeing and false worship and stoning are stories of gospel success because the gospel is preached and it's sown and Jesus is at work. So if tomorrow you get argued down by poison minds at work, in your home, by your family, by your friends, maybe Jesus even works a miracle and still they shrug their shoulders and go, that's good for you, but I've got my own thing going on. Don't worry, because Jesus is at work. We're learning that all we need to do is lovingly preach the gospel. And what happens if no one responds? What happens if people try and worship me or stone me? Don't fear, because Jesus is at work. Be encouraged. Be encouraged that as we walk in the Spirit, that is, seeking God's guidance in all our daily doings, that what may look like failure is actually sowing seeds for gospel growth. You and I, we're not responsible for the fruit. That is above our pay grade. But we're responsible for simply stepping out for him. Today's passage is meant to encourage us. The fact that we're here meeting in this church in Liverpool this morning means this first mission trip was a resounding success. The Spirit is clearly at work and the Spirit is continuing to be at work. The Spirit is at work here in this church, in us and through us. I can't spell out what it looks like for you tomorrow, but let's be faithful in sharing Jesus. Let's be expectant to see the Spirit at work in us, that your love of Jesus would engulf any and all hardships you face, and that the Spirit would lead you to some wonderful opportunities so that you too can say this week that God has opened a door.